Oh. Oh, there's not. There's another to Yahoo, which um, I'll send you the link right now. And I'm surprised. That's very interesting. There, so you can get that. Let me take a look. Put it in our chat, I think. Oh, yeah, I found it. Ah, I see it. That's funny that it's not in the emails. Hmm. Normally, because almost all the emails that come come from people who have seen this YouTube channel. Oh, no, I didn't see the YouTube. I just got it from Daniel, basically. And the uh, I did see in the email that you mentioned a YouTube channel, but it, it just said, like, some named Anapadnasati, but I didn't know that I would just have to look up, like, your name. Um, mm -hmm. But thank you. I, I will definitely take a look at the at those videos. All right. Um, there is, there's something around 1,500 videos. Oh, wow. So just jump in and play around. There's nothing in particular. Um, there, in, in fact, there is a sequence of events in the sense of the way of teaching the Dhamma. Mm. And that the first place that we would start would be that the Buddha said himself, and we have several suttas where we find this. He says, both formally and now, I teach only one thing. And that is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Mm. Okay, so if uh, Daniel is all smi uh, smiling and bright and everything is okay, and you want to be like him, then that means that you're in Dukkha and he's not. Okay. Okay, why? Because the word Dukkha actually translates into being dissatisfied. Mm. And that's where uh, Western civilization teaches its children to go into, to go into the direction of living a life, looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places and wind up not being satisfied year after year after year until they die in old age dissatisfied. Mm. And how can we become satisfied is by putting away all of the rules and things that make us have standards that decide whether we're going to be satisfied or not based upon what standard and say, I don't need a standard to be happy. Mm. I could just be happy already. We don't have to pass any courses, don't have to do any exams, don't have to get anything done. Don't have to do this, that, or the other thing. In fact, most of being happy is to stop doing stuff <laughs> and sit down and be happy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's basically the entire teachings of the Buddha right there. Mm. Dukkha and stop doing Dukkha. Mm. Okay. So the first quality of that is, is that we have to be able to see what Dukkha actually is and where it comes from so that we can avoid it when it comes up. Mm -hmm. 
All right, now I've just actually gone through uh, the April, excuse me, the uh, the Four Noble Truths. Surely you've heard of the Buddhism in the sense of there are Four Noble Truths. Um, actually, also no. All right, so there are four noble truths. Let's go with this. Why are they noble? Is because they keep applying moment by moment every now that comes by from a long time ago to long in the future these things apply doesn't take a vacation no gaps mm -hmm. always true that's what makes it nobly true because most things that are true are true according to circumstances mm -hmm. and the circumstances will change but in this sense there is always going to be reasons why you could find to be dissatisfied. And the more stuff you find to be dissatisfied about, the more dissatisfied you'll be. And some people get really proud of how dissatisfied they are. Mm -hmm. Thereby creating even more dissatisfaction, which is exactly the way they're going. Okay, so in that regard, if we can see how we create dissatisfaction, that must mean then that the way that we create it, we're ignorant to. We're stupid. We don't know what we're doing. We're lost and often we're delusional. We think that I get that, I'll feel better without seeing directly that I feel bad because I don't have it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and if we can say I feel bad because I don't have it, then why should I want it in order to feel good? Just stop wanting it and I can feel good. That's a that's a that makes sense. Uh -huh. <laughs> it certainly does. If we can remember to look at that's what's going on in the mind, because it happens often throughout the day. Mm. Most of our activities is because we want something. And and many times what we want, we don't get. And so we pine for it, we want it. We also bring in the delusion that we would be better off without it. To where in fact, just thinking about it and wanting it makes us actually worse off. And getting it may not be any better. Especially if, look how hard I work to get it. Now that I've got it, I'll have to work hard to keep it. Because somebody else may want to come and take it from me. It may rot, it may grow cold, it may go hot, it may go this way or that way. So we have to work to keep it. But no matter how much you work at keeping it, you're going to lose it anyway. Mm. And then you really feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> so feel bad when we want it feel immediately good when we get it and then we feel bad keeping it until we lose it and then we really feel bad yeah and when we see that sequence we can begin to say wait a minute i should be more selective about the things that i want mm. to start looking for ways to get things that i want easily and then i'm satisfied easily and so this is where the wisdom comes in so Let's go now to the issue of the second noble truth, because the second noble truth is what we've already been talking about in the sense that in Mahayana Buddhism, by the way, they say that um, 
The second noble truth is, is that uh, dissatisfaction is caused by uh, attachment, grasping and clinging. That's not correct because some things are worth attaching to. Some things are really wholesome. Good friends are something to attach to. This present moment and what's happening right now is worthy of being attached to. Mm. So really it's not attachment itself, it's when we do our attachment stupidly and attach to the wrong things. Mm. And when we start attaching to the right things wisely, then we'll be much more satisfied, especially in the sense that what we attach to are things that we can have easily. We want something, we get it, we're finished, we're satisfied, we got it. That's all there is to it. And if it goes away, that's all right, it comes easy again. (laughs) So, this is the second noble truth, and it's got an additional point to it, and that is is that uh, the the creation of dukkha is caused because we don't like things. Well, wait a minute, wanting and not wanting, or wanting things to go away and wanting things to come, is just a matter of which side of the highway you're on. Mm. The fact is, is that when you want something, that means that you want to stop not having it. And when you're putting up with something that you don't like, you want it to go away. So in a way, greed and ill will are very closely related. And when they're done ignorantly, we cause ourselves and others a great deal of dissatisfaction. Now, We'll leave the second noble truth at this point. There's a whole lot more to it. But if you can understand this one thing about ignorance or delusion is the main reason why we are dissatisfied. I mean, here you are can be sitting in your normal state dissatisfied. And all you have to do is remember, hey, I don't have to sit here being dissatisfied about what I'm thinking about. I can think about something wholesome and happy and be satisfied right now. That's all there is to it. It's just change your mind, change your attitude, Mm. change your breathing, change your posture, get up and dance already. Yeah. And yet, and yet our whole civilization is going around moping. Mm. And so where can we come out of that moping is because we can remember to come out of it. And when we remember to come out of it, right then and there, we're in that third noble truth, which is no suffering. When we're satisfied, that means that we're not dissatisfied. Now, one thing that's really beautiful here is, is that most people that I talk to have already had enough Buddhism that they are really, really confused, really magically oriented, thinking that the results of the teaching of the Buddha practiced well puts you in a really, really great, wonderful state Mm. that nobody ever sees. Mm. But the reality is, is that you can figure out how you want to feel and then feel that way. Mm. And you don't have to go looking for super duper magical feelings. The ordinary, wow, this is good kind of feeling is what we could have if we could remember 
as opposed to having an, oh, no, this is terrible kind of feeling that we have often because we were trained to do that from childhood. Mm. Right. And in, and in a way, that childhood stuff, that all kind of happened because we were around people who have that negative, um, disgruntled, dissatisfied attitude. And so we pass it down generation after generation. That's what our society is all about. You know, the funny part about society, the way that it's come out now, Western society, Europe, U.S., etc., is is that no one in that society actually winds up happy. Everybody, even the most wealthy people, are really miserable. Mm. Nobody's really happy because nobody's satisfied. One thing that a really wealthy group of people want, they compete with each other for what? More money. Mm. No matter how much they get, their value is dependent upon how much more money they have. And when Elon Musk has more than Bezos, Bezos feels bad. He is not happy that he's got $100 million. He's unhappy because he doesn't have $133 million or billion <laughs> or trillion or whatever the numbers are. Right? Yeah. And, and why is because that's the way our society is set up. It's called capitalism. And what we can recognize is, is that, hey, your time, personal time, is more valuable to you than what they'd pay you. You are worth more than whatever anybody would hire. But in fact, that's the whole point about employment. The only reason any employer would employ uh, an employee is so the employer can make money off the employee. Sometimes more than double what they're paid. And when you recognize that this moment is precious, why not enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, why not? This moment is precious. Why not enjoy it? Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. Uh, every moment is precious. Every moment is precious. Let's enjoy each one of them. Why do we get bogged down in all this and all that? And I lost this and I lost that. And poor me, what I'll do about that. And the answer to that is right now we're okay. Right now we're fine. When the time comes to figure all that out, we'll figure it out. But we don't have to sit here and burn and turn and think about it because I'm not doing it anyway. Mm. And so we can just stay in this present moment. So with that, we can introduce now the fourth noble truth and the fourth noble truth pointing out about this third noble truth that you could feel the way that you want to there is actually a method now the method is actually kind of a bad translation that's one of the problems with western buddhism is, is that the english language is stuffed and a lot of the translations are wrong, so people get the wrong idea. That, and they're looking for magic and looking for love, and all they find are facts anyway. So, um, in that regard, you probably heard of the Eightfold Noble Path, which is part of the Four Noble Truths, right? 
All right. Well, since you haven't, we can make it easy by defining the word path clearly because a path is not a destination like a bicycle path, a footpath, a horse path, or any of those kinds of paths, but rather it's more like the word way, because you could have a way that was a highway, or you could have a way to do something. Okay, so you can think of the Eightfold Noble Path as actually the Eightfold Noble Method. Mm -hmm. And the method is, is to wake up, look at what you're doing, and make a change, and then congratulate yourself. These are four items on the Eightfold Noble Path. We only need four because when we develop those four, the other four come eventually as fruition. Okay, so what are those four, and how are we going to practice them? Well, those four that I gave you, is going to be practiced with um, what the Buddha gave as the meditation, which is Anapanasati. Now the word Anapanasati means breathing in and breathing out, Ana and Pana. Sati means that you know that you're breathing in and breathing out. Mm. They, they often translate it as the word mindfulness. You mindfully breathe in and breathe out. Now, the right way to mindfully breathe in and breathe out is by taking control and seizing the breath so that you're intentionally breathing in a little bit longer than normal and intentionally breathing out a lot uh, normal because if you just merely watch the breath without putting any effort or energy into it, just kind of mindfully blah 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 it's easy for the mind to just scatter and wander away but if we actually begin to control the breathing with the mind then guess what we're controlling the mind because you can't control the breathing without controlling the mind to control the breathing isn't that interesting oh yeah because you kind of need to breathe always because you have to remember to breathe if you're going to do it mindfully, and if we forget to breathe, guess what? We've got an automatic mechanism built into the back part of the skull. Yeah. That will keep us breathing even if we're asleep. Yeah. All right. But we're going to now seize control away from that automatic breathing and start breathing mindfully instead. With the mind. Mm. Okay. So, this is the beginning of Anapanasati, but let's take it back to the Eightfold Noble Method or the Eightfold Noble Path and talk about it from the very beginning, is right view. Now, when I say right view, again, in Buddhism, a lot of people get confused that the word means like a worldview or a viewpoint or a position or a concept or something like that. But in fact, what we actually are talking about is a verb, looking viewing, investigating, not having conducted an investigation. Because when the investigating is finished, it becomes an investigation, a noun. Mm. Okay, and we're going to not make a noun out of it. There is no conclusion to the investigation because every new moment is new moment. Mm. And if we come to a conclusion about right now, later it's going to slap us because the new right now is not going to fit the concept we created in the old right now. Mm. 
And so we stop trying to make it to be the way that we think it ought to be and start looking at it over and over again the way that it actually is. Investigating, looking, noticing what's happening now. And we have various features that we're going to apply that. Because in the very, very old days before the Buddha, and in fact in a lot of Hindu and other meditations and whatnot, the idea is to focus on something out there. A mountaintop, a fire, a crystal, a crystal ball, uh, a Jesus figure, uh, the idea of a god, any and all of those things. And in the time of the Buddha, in fact, crystals and water and distant mountains and also mud pies, they would make mud pies or, or uh, a pie of uh, uh, leaves stitched together. And look at that and then close her eyes and try to remember it and then open her eyes and then close them and try to remember better, et cetera, like that. This is the old stuff. But what the Buddha did was he turned all of that stuff around and no, we're not going to look at the outside world right now. We're going to look inside. Mm-hmm. And what do we find inside is a body that has feelings and a mind and the objects of the mind. The kind of thoughts that we think. So if those four things exist, then those are the four things that need to be paid attention to. Mm-hmm. Those are the four things that we're going to watch. And the question is, well, which one do I watch first and which one second? The answer to that is always within the teachings of the Buddha, one by one as they occur, they will present themselves when you're looking. And that's then your new object of meditation is to look at what it is that's presenting itself to you. Mm. Or listen or feel or experience or whatever like that. And we begin to see that everything is really deeply interconnected. Mm. That the way we feel conditions the way we think and the way that we think conditions the way we feel. The body conditions the way we feel. The feelings condition the body. If we get really pissed off, we get really agitated and full of energy. But we also can't think straight. That's true. Why? Because all the energy and all the uh, the stuff is built into the body to get it to go into fight or flight mechanism, which is an old um, uh, instinct. So a lot of the teaching of the Buddha actually is is to come out of our instincts and pay attention to what's going on. And now we're going to live our lives with wisdom rather than a set of old bad habits. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. It does. It makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, because the old bad habits are full of old bad feelings. Yeah. And that we could choose what kind of feelings we're going to have, choose what kind of thoughts we're going to have, choose how the body uh, feels, etc., like that. Once we wake up to it, we could start to change it. Yeah. All right. So the first part of this Eightfold Noble Path, then, actually with the looking, it's got a companion, which is actually the word sati. And what sati means in this context is to wake up which means to come out of whatever we're thinking about, whatever in the past or in the future or over there or back when or what's going to happen next and all of that kind of not here now stuff, to wake up into the here now 
How's my breathing? How's my feelings? How's my thoughts? And we kind of take a little investigation and we see what's going on. Hmm. Now, any kind of thought or any kind of feeling that you have could be improved. Whatever it is, it could be improved. And if you happen by chance, after a lot of practice, you wind up having a thought that is so marvelous, so wonderful, so over the top, wow, like you never had a thought like that before. If you're mindful, you can congratulate yourself for having had that such magnificent thought, thereby improving it by congratulating yourself for having it. So in that regard, almost any thought that we have, we can improve it by congratulating ourselves for having it. Well, congratulations kind of feels better than, oh, no, look what I've got to put up with now. It says, ah, I got you. I see you. (laughs) And in the process of that, we begin to change our attitude because when we were little kids, we were born dependent couldn't change our diapers, couldn't find the nipple, couldn't walk by ourselves, couldn't dress ourselves, can't tie our shoes. And then they put us into school and say, sit down and do your homework. Clean up your room, do what you're told to do. Learn your one, two, threes, learn your ABCs. And the child remains basically in the victim's position for a long time. Well, here's Laurent calling. Funny thing, we mentioned him. I'm going ahead and just bring him in on the call. Oh. Hey, hello. Hello, Laurent. It's dark where you are. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Should be better. Okay. All right, that's back. Okay, good to good to see you. Um, this is uh, Rick. He is uh, Daniel's friend. Oh, okay, nice to meet you. And and he and Daniel were on uh, together at the first time, and they hadn't seen each other in months until they called here. That happens quite frequently, in fact. Uh, at one point, there was two guys calling that hadn't talked to each other in two years. <laughs> and they both wind up calling me same time. So anyway, I thought I'd bring you in on this call, Laurent, because they were talking about you. <laughs> so, so this is Rick. I don't know when he's coming, but uh, uh, he's welcome to join our uh, our Thai, Thai society of nothing at all. <laughs> of course, sounds good. Sounds good. So. So where we had been talking was about when we're really little born dependent. We are born in a state of victimhood and we are dependent upon bigger people, older people, wiser people, people to pick us up and carry us around. And then when we're teenagers, we still want help. And when we're adults, we still want help. We still remain in the state of victimhood. I mean, this is what religions are all about, is to falsely give the people impression that we're here to help you because you want help. 
But there's a whole lot of people who get to the point of, hey, man, I don't need your help anymore. I'm good. I've got it. Okay, so how can we get ourselves out of that position of wanting help into the recognition that we've got this thing on our own? Now, that's what we mean by um, uh, attitude. Coming from the attitude of I need help into the attitude of I don't need another guru. Mm. The growing up process that I'm a man now all on my own, don't need no nothing. Then in fact, a state also is referred to within the teachings of Buddhism as the lion. The lion's roar. The Buddha was known as a lion. You can hear my voice when I'm lying. I sound like it. <laughs> All right. So with that lion's roar, that's that attitude of we've got this. And so that's often this this lion quality is often a, uh, uh, an avatar for the Buddha or for one who has got his territory sussed out. Why? Because he's investigated, he's looking, he's watching. So, um, this actually is an item that's on the Eightfold Noble Path, but a lot of people don't really understand how powerful it is, and they actually translate it wrongly as right thought, but it's closer to, say, right attitude, excuse me, um, right intention is the way that it's often translated. But right intention either has the intention and the sense of doing something harmful or wrong, which is also having the intention of doing something right. And we can lean one way or the other. But we can also use the word attitude, that we can have the attitude of being the loser, needing help, wanting something, versus the attitude of, I've got this. Mm. And so we can practice that. This is what the Anapanasati practice is in the sense of gladdening the mind. And this is also what we mean by the right effort. The right effort is to change this unwholesome thought that's based in this unwholesome attitude into a positive, hopeful thought. And we do that one after another after another, sort of like going to the gym. That when a guy goes to the gym the first time, the worst thing he can do is go to the back where the great big heavy dumbbells or barbells are and try to lift 200 kilos. It's the wrong thing to do. No, he's got to go to the front of the gym where the dumbbells are down at one or two kilos and start reps. One after another, after another, after another with slow, with, with smaller weights and then work ourselves up with reps. That in fact, if a, if a uh, weightlifter does it correctly, by the time he gets up to those 200 kilogram uh, barbells that he's picking up, he can still do reps with them too. Mm. But many times they make great big jumps in there. So uh, if we practice that way, then we can do these reps anytime. That in fact, the way to get the reps is as easy to do as possible is by getting ourselves into seclusion. So now we're beginning to think about or look at what we mean by meditation. The first thing is, is to get away from everybody else. You don't have to hold a long posture for a long time. That's not what we're practicing here. 
what we're practicing is becoming uh, familiar with the body. Whatever posture it's in. The next one is, is that we're going to be away from everybody else. We're going to let us say be secluded, leave the world out. Only to find out that we brought it in anyway with us. And so now we have to rid it again, throw that stuff out, all the unwholesome thoughts and keep taking those unwholesome thoughts out and putting wholesome thoughts in. So let's get an example of what's an unwholesome thought and a wholesome thought and then understand that there's a great big vast area that's between that will have to be you to figure that out for yourself. But downright unwholesome thoughts would be thoughts of hurting someone, thoughts of getting even, thoughts of starting a fight, thoughts of starting an argument, finding yourself into an argument and you want to continue with the argument. These are all unwholesome thoughts, especially when you're sitting there arguing with yourself. <laughs> and that also is the same thing as being full of doubt. Do I do this? Do I do that? What do I do? The answer is, is that if you don't know what to do, then don't do anything until you figure out the right thing to do and then go do that. But many times humans are so uptight about not knowing what to do, they'll just go off and do the wrong thing because at least they're doing something. Mm. And the answer is you don't have to do anything other than start talking yourself into these wholesome thoughts. Now let's talk about what is a wholesome thought. A wholesome thought would be, oh, everything's okay. Everything is all right. This is satisfying. Or maybe even more basic per words like, I feel safe. I feel secure. Everything right now is okay. There is no danger. There's no pythons, there's no cobras, there's no Russian mafia, uh, Russian mafia there's no uh, SWAT team, no alligators, you know, there's uh, no meteorites are heading towards the house. We're okay right now. Most people actually do feel fear most of the time, just a little bit, but that fear will snap into top place really easily. But what we're going to do here is we're going to start talking ourselves into, hey, man, it's OK. There's nothing to be afraid of. I feel good. I feel comfortable. And with that feeling of safe, secure, comfortable, comes the idea of, oh, well, right now is OK. I'm satisfied. Got no place to go. Everything is all right. Don't have any complaints. No worries. Everything is good. Now we can practice that state. These are the three parts of the Eightfold Noble Path, which is wake up, take a look and make a change. Whatever you're changing, any thoughts that are being unwholesome and keeping us into that state, we can start having the thoughts then of everything's okay, everything is fine, everything's all right, not a worry in the world. Or other ways to say it is would be like, Always look on the bright side of life. And then we can come to the next phase, which we're adding this uh, um, attitude because we've already been working on the attitude. We've already getting success. By becoming satisfied, we're beginning to build success. And when we notice that we're getting successful, what that means is, is that we're building confidence. We're finally no longer the loser who needs to meditate. Now we're the winner 
who really likes it. Mm. Notice the difference. It's an attitude. Mm. From coming out of the guy who, uh, the, the loser who needs to meditate in order to be happy, into the attitude of, wow, this is good. I could do this. And then we start practicing. I see a big smile on your face, Ron. <laughs> and, and so when we keep practicing this, we get to the point of knowing that no matter how screwed up the mind gets, no matter what we're thinking, no matter what dirty thoughts we have, we can actually throw those things out and come back into a good state. And that is real power. That's the real winner. The one who can pick himself up, dust himself off, and boogie on down the road. Because we know that we can handle it, no matter how bad things get. It's okay. Why? Because with mindfulness, or with sati, to remember that we can make up, get up, and, and go on. We're okay. We're fine. We're the lion here. Yeah, we might have been a falling down line, but we're standing up boogieing line right now. Because we can remember that we don't have to lay there in our face down in our own mud. We can pick ourselves up. All we have to do is remember it. That's why we want to practice these reps over and over again to remember it, to make that sati strong so that it'll be there when we need it. Now, this is the, uh, the the path of Anapanasati, and it does have good, wholesome thoughts about the body. Well, the body is really comfortable. Wow, look at that breath. Look at the breeze. I can feel the touch of the cloth, and we can just really get groovy about how good the body feels. Mm. And then we can get really groovy about how easygoing and happy we think, and we begin to feel that way, too. We begin to feel, actually feel safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied. Oh, wow, what a relief it is. Wow, this feels good to just relax. And so we go into that state of pleasure. This is really nice. I like it. And when we can get ourselves into that kind of state over and over again, then the next point is, is that we say, well, I can do this. And so that, yeah, I could do this. Lion's war becomes a yippee, I can do this. <laughs> As we go up to those really high states, we can do this. You're already the boss of your own life. You have been your whole life. You just didn't know it. You thought somebody else ran it. And you've been running your own life badly ever since, because you thought somebody else was doing it. Who was the other one? The one who made up the rules that you remembered. And so you've been living your life according to a set of rules and standards that you got from somebody else. And now you have the opportunity to open up, wake up, look at what you're doing, figuring out that you feel the way that you do because you're supposed to feel that way, and say, wait a minute, I can feel any way I want to feel. These are my feelings, you know. And then you can begin to feel the way that you want to feel and practice it that well until you get so good at it that you're the champion. And then you feel like the champion anywhere you go. And then you begin to shine like David. 
or Daniel rather. <laughs> I've got some Davids too. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think, Rick? I really like it. I think it makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense. I feel like it it is it is more uh, something that feels like it can apply to a day to day basis and hourly by hourly, moment by moment. Yeah, exactly. Every ten seconds, you can remember. Hey, I don't have to think about that. I can sit here and think about nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like. It, I think this is a story that speaks a lot more to me than anything else that I've heard about or seen about meditation because it always feels like such a, I don't know, uh, a task or something you have to devote everything to. But this feels like something you can just do, even though it has and to start very deliberately. You can just begin to enjoy. In fact, the uh, the less doing there is, the better. Mm -hmm. But we always have to put in the right effort, okay? And to find the right effort is whatever it takes, the least amount of effort that it takes to actually get the job done. Mm -hmm. So how much effort does it actually take to crack a smile? Very little. <laughs> All right. <laughs> exactly. It takes very little effort to crack a smile. That's how much effort that it takes. It's very little. But we got to make that effort. Mm. And when to remember or when we do it, we do it because we remember that we can do it and get a kick out of it. That is valuable to smile. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Brighten up, lighten up. Things are not nearly as bad as my mommy told, they, told me they were going to be. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> just smile. So basically, you have just have to make the the, I mean, the minimal effort to just wake up and do something else, mm -hmm. and do something that is a wholesome, basically. Yeah, so easy, isn't it? And then number four, get a big kick out of what you just did. Yeah, by congratulating yourself, for by example. By congratulating yourself. Yeah, we've got that. Yeah, I can throw grumpy granny out of my mind. I don't have to think about her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That she's not as heavy as the 100 kilos that she weighs indicates. Yeah. Because what we have in our mind is not her. It's our own belief system that we think we know her when, in fact, we don't know her at all. Mm. So whatever we imagine about her is our own imagination anyway, and you can change your, ima your imagination. Mm. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of funny how things always get made like super overcomplicated, but this feels like actually pretty simple. But mm -hmm. then the powerful thing about it, I guess. That's what makes it powerful, but it's so simple that it's easy to forget. Oh, I learned that in the book, and now I set the book in the shelf, and I'm going off and having an unhappy ball. Mm. So that's where the reps come in, the repetition over and over and over again. Keep looking at the breath. Is this a good breath? 
keep looking at the mind. Is this a good thought to have? Can I do better than this? Can I brighten this whole show up? That's the way you go around asking yourself, what can we do to improve this thing? Yeah. By, for example, How you, yeah, you can feel the way you want to feel that mm. you're, you, you don't have to feel the way that you talk yourself into it. You can talk yourself into any way you want to feel. Mm. A way of saying it is, is that we all talk ourselves into feeling bad for our whole life long. Now it's time to start talking yourself into feeling good. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because we got everything we need. We don't need anything else. We don't have to hunger and thirst after anything. We've got it. It's already here. Yeah, and you just do that by telling yourself. Or by what? By whating yourself? By telling yourself? Yes. Uh huh. Uh, we could say it in even more precise language than that by nurturing yourself, mm. by caring for yourself, by making friends with yourself. Rather than saying, I'll be friends with you when you straighten up and do what you're told to do. No, I'm friends with you right now. Mm. This is good enough. Who I am right now is good enough. I do not have to, uh, to change. I could be satisfied with the way I am, which, by the way, for most people is one heck of a change. <laughs> yeah. You should just be satisfied with who you are. You don't have to make a whole lot of changes. But by by becoming friends with yourself, accepting who you are, that's the majorest change that a person can make. Mm. Because we're always down on ourselves. We always want this and want that and disappointed because we lose this and that and the other thing. And in fact, whatever it is that we lost, we were probably better off now without it. Mm. I mean, if your laptop broke, think about it. If your laptop broke, wouldn't that make things really easy on you? You can make all kinds of excuses. Oh, I haven't contacted you. I haven't paid this. I haven't done that. I'm just laying here having a ball. Yeah. All because the laptop broke. Or you can take it the other way. How bad can you feel if the laptop breaks? Very bad because you can't do anything. Right. And when you figure out you didn't need to do anything after all anyway, then we really don't need the laptop. Now we can have the laptop and have it as a toy. Yeah. As a, as a, I don't need it. I just, I just got it, and I play with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everything you can just see as something that you do because it's fun. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we're the winner here. We've already proven to ourselves that we're the winner. We don't have to compete with anybody anymore. That's something that's really amazing. In fact, this is kind of advanced Buddhism. But since I've talked about it a little bit, and that is, is that whenever you are in competition with another person, formally or informally, arguments, competitions at the workplace or whatever like that, recognize that you are playing by your rules and the other person is playing by their own rules. Mm. If that's the case, then the game that you're playing could wind up being a win-win and both of you win, but most of the time these games wind up to where everybody feels bad. Mm. 
And part of the reason why we feel bad is because we set the game up to lose because that was our existential life position from the first place, that I'm supposed to lose these things. Mm. This is what jealousy, envy, and all of that kind of stuff is about, is we want something that he's got, but I'm a victim to the fact that that he's got something that I want. And he's the winner and I'm the victim because I don't have what he wants. Guess what? If I don't want what he's got, then I'm the winner. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) All right. So once we recognize then that we lose our arguments and our spats and our competitions because of the way that we set up our own rules or the criteria, the criteria for the argument, we already set that up. And so we play out the game and we wind up with the solution that we had planned on in the first, except that the planning was all done subconsciously Mm. out of habit. And when you recognize that, no, you can set up any and every competition that you get into where you're the one who wins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can just, yeah, you can have that guy for lunch. He doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> He's an intellectual midget. <laughs> and so you begin to win every argument, every race. There's nothing worth arguing about, though, because what you see is since you are such a winner and competition is so much work, why bother? Because you're going to win anyway. Why bother? <laughs> Yeah. And so we kind of drop our comp- competition with others. There's no reason to comp- compete with him. Even when he wants to compete with me, I don't need to compete with him because I'm going to win. I'm going to beat the tar out of him. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like having the attitude of the title fight champion that is one or two days away from the next title match. And he is pumped up. And he is ready to go and he's had all of the exercises and he's just ready. You know, he's mentally prepared for the fight of his life. Mm. And then in the back door comes a 16 year old cocky little kid who's had some fights. He's beat some people up. He's had a karate lesson and now he's gunning for you. What are you going to do with this poor kid? Are you going to fight him or you want to kill him? Are you going to take him and break him in half like that? Cause you can. Yeah, and he's coming for the fight. Yeah. Best thing to do is just throw him aside. Don't play with him, because you'll hurt him. Because <laughs> you know how. Yeah. Okay, so this is then the idea of coming to that state of being the champion, so that you don't have to do all of that stuff anymore. Do mm. you're ready? You can handle any moment. And how we get that way is these reps over and over and over again. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Mm. I can have joy in my life. I can have a big smile. I can remember. And here you are really, really lucky that you've got a friend. Hopefully you spend more time with him, with Daniel, or you can join our Sangha because we've got a Sangha of some pretty happy dudes now on Skype. Yeah, I, I, I'd love to join the Sangha, even though I'm not super familiar what that is, but... Well, here's the point, all right? So let's give you a very quick introduction to Sangha. In Buddhism, they have the three refuges. What a refuge is, is like a ship 
out at sea, tries to find a safe harbor. Mm. And then within Buddhism, we have three harbors, three safe places. One of them is within your Buddha mind, when you're already cleaned out and everything is good. The next refuge is the Dhamma, the teaching of the Buddha, that the method of being able to get out of that state or get out of your uh, war or get out of the heavy seas into a safe harbor. And then the third triple gem or the third uh, jewel is the Sangha, and that is your friends who are in the same boat that you are. Mm. And we seek refuge together. So that you become around those who expect you to be noble. And so you be, you begin to expect to be a little more noble. And then they expect themselves and you to be a little more noble. And so people begin to get their act together when they're with each other. And what we begin to do then is make good, close friends with one another. Just like we've learned to make good, close friends within. Mm-hmm. So you could say then that the teaching of the Buddha is actually nothing but... all-encompassing friendship. First, we become friends with ourselves on the inside. And along the way, we begin to practice and then we eventually get pretty good at being friends with those on the outside, especially if they're practicing the same thing. And if they're practicing the same thing, we've got a sangha, we've got a course, we've got harmony. We don't compete with each other. Mm. Because if we did, everybody's going to win anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, so that's what Sangha is, and it's actually half of the path. You could say then that a lot of really good stuff will rub off if you're rubbing up against something really good. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get a lot of crap rubbed off if you're rubbing up against a lot of crap. And we in our society teach each other and teach our kids to rub up a lot of crap. Mm. And we can instead go find some good friends, some that are worth having. And you're really lucky you've already got Daniel. That's true. You said it's been a long time since you contacted him. Oh, get on our group and follow him around. He's coming to Tainan. He'll be at, I guess he'll be at Kosamui soon enough. Mm-hmm. That in fact I hear who's got whose bike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got the bike. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I was I was actually planning on visiting him um in uh, uh in October. So I'm gonna be in Japan until the in, in the end of September and then I wanted to go to Thailand to mm-hmm. uh, on a retreat with him basically. Excellent. Yeah. And I wanted to kind of take call you uh, to also to get more familiar with it, so that when I'm at the retreat, I actually have like can you know what to do, right? Well, now you know what to do. That is just doing these reps of uh, yeah, the the repetitions of I'm okay, everything is fine, not a problem in the world. Whatever it is is broken. It either gets swept out by somebody else or fixed by somebody else, or later I'll fix it myself if, if I'm in the mood for it. Yeah. But right now, getting the mood right. But we always go around doing stuff in the wrong mood because we figure out that getting something done is more important than what mood that we're in. So now we're going to change that. 
so that you can begin to control how you feel. And then what you do is easy. Right. And and where does meditation come in then? I know you've talked about this uh, was it. That's the whole thing. That's it. Number one, wake up to this present moment. Number two, remember number three to make a change. And number four, to congratulate yourself. This is the Eightfold Noble Path. This is the meditation. Right, right, right. And then and that and that little sequence is going to happen with any practice of meditation. Anything has to do with remembering to come back to the object and look at it. Right. But the big deal here is that we're going to look at these objects that are right here in front of us and make them change. Mm. We're going to straighten our life out. We're going to put things in order. We're going to catch all of that crap happily and then make a change. Mm. Hmm. And and here you would just be instead of looking at a mountain, you're just looking at your breath or observing your breath and then telling you telling yourself it's okay. It's and, right. Looking at the breath, looking at the wind, feeling the touch of the path of your. Uh, there's all kinds of things to do with the body. But in general, what we're looking at is to see the body well enough as it relaxes. The whole point of it is, is that the body becomes really relaxed. Mm. I see. Ah, uh, yeah. So the meditation you can kind of do always at any moment, basically. All we have to do is remember. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it makes. But it's it's good to get away some um, like. Um, oh, now you know how to go to the gym. I don't have to go to the gym. That's not true. Mm. Now that you know how to and what to do at the gym, now you go to the gym. Now, what does that mean? It means that you, from time to time, let us say that you would practice an hour a day. Well, let's take that hour time, 60 minutes, and put it to use. And by, let us dividing it into 10, um, 10 minute sessions six times a day. Mm. So for 10 minutes, maybe you can do it five minutes, 12 times a day. That's half the day. That would be five minutes out of 55. So mm. when you're working, you would stop for five minutes and sit in a chair saying for the next five minutes, I don't have nothing to do, no place to go. I'm going to just sit here and enjoy the heck out of my mind, my life. And we become at peace and quiet and easy going and then five minutes later we can get back onto the computer or whatever we're doing mm. and the next hour is going to be very productive as opposed to just running through the, that hour because the mind didn't have good attention span right and then the next hour comes up in another five minutes and you take it off and you say hey man i don't have to work for the next five minutes and then another time would be just when you wake up in the morning because when people wake up in the morning, generally we think about what we got to do and nobody wants to get out of bed. Nobody jumps right out of bed. Everybody lingers along for a while. So here's a good time to practice Anapanasati, to practice meditation, is lay there just as you wake up and says, hey, today's going to be a great day. Everything's going to be just fine. I can handle anything that happens. But then we can get up with a better attitude or when we go to sleep at night or lay down at night to go to sleep 
instead of, oh, I've got to get some sleep, I'm tired, i got to go, I've got to work tomorrow. Instead, we can have thoughts like, no place to go and nothing to do, and I can just lay here and just feel all cushy and comfortable, and for eight hours, there's nothing to do at all, and I can just relax, relax. Yeah. And then sleep is easier. We don't dream so much. Could you also apply it when you're actually doing things, like for example, going for a run or something like that? You can just tell yourself. Well, I, could... I wouldn't call going for a run or a walk doing something. That, mm. in fact, uh, uh, within the context of the teaching of the Buddha, walking meditation, which is basically the same as running meditation, is uh, done. Uh, let us put the, the point of the emphasis uh, is, is that in our case, we would probably be doing it barefoot. Mm. And now the emphasis is upon don't step on anything. Step around everything. Find some good ground to walk on. Okay. Mm. And so we begin to watch where we're going. You see, when we're running, we're not even paying attention to where we're going. Mm. So what we would do in on that run is start paying attention to what the body's doing. Start getting in touch with the breathing. Figure out how we feel. In fact, uh, they they call it sometimes the runner's high. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes. All right, put yourself in that state. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you could just tell yourself just, like this yeah just tell, you can do this yeah you can get into that runner state oh, wow this feels so good <laughs> yeah 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 hmm interesting i'm gonna try it for sure after i end this call i'm gonna try it <laughs> right. for okay well when are you going to call back um i have an operation tomorrow that's going to take some time to recover from but i feel like i can already call probably just maybe. give it two or three days maybe a, a week a half a week something like that yeah yeah let yourself practice for a few days anyway sure okay good i'll do that e excellent okay All well, right thank you so very much yeah mm -hmm. So let's pay attention to the rod. Rod, do you have anything in particular other than just uh, uh, piggybacking on our joy? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think it's a good uh, introduction to the practice. It's just uh, basically relaxing, having a good time, letting go of you know, the tension and the, the, um, the problems, like the recurring thoughts that's uh, bothering you. and. Uh, and yeah, discovering what works for you and, uh, and what you like most, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, initially I called you just to let you know what I was up to. Uh, the, the <laughs> and because um, we're going on a retreat soon, maybe Daniel told you. Yes, you're, it's on the 20th? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so uh, uh, Nor and Catelyn, who are now yeah. at the retreat center on this island will be joining you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I saw uh, uh, Cap uh, a few days ago, I think. And he told me, yeah, that's good. 
we are going to be a going to to go as a team. We got some friends. <laughs> All right. Well, let's finish this call then. Thanks for checking in, Laurent. I'm really glad that you did. I'm glad <laughs> glad to see you, and I uh, hope to see you again soon. In fact, maybe no. Let's do something after the retreat. Yeah. After the retreat, if you guys will come over to the island, we can plan on it. We'll have another party like we did yeah. what four, five, six months ago. Yes, that sounds good. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay, guys. We'll see you. Thank you. Good to meet you, Rick. Good to meet you. I'm glad to meet you. Likewise. I feel totally the same. Thank you very much for your time. All right. Take okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.